morning again. Before we get started, I want to say a little prayer. So will you join me in prayer? Holy God, continue to send your Spirit among us and through us. May it come over us and overcome us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing unto you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We continue our sermon series on the life of Moses. We talked about how God saved Moses through the waters of the Nile River. And he saved him for a purpose to be a part of God's saving instrument for the the Hebrew people. And then we talked about how God used these defining moments in Moses' life, both the good moments and the bad. And Moses saw God through those moments and was called to be that instrument of salvation. And then last week, we saw God mightily, mightily defeat the Egyptian gods and the armies of Pharaoh so that the people, the people could return to God. And in the same way, we heard that message, when we find ourselves enslaved, when we find ourselves enslaved, that if we cry out, God will rescue us. Well, we catch up with the Hebrew people and Moses. They have escaped. They have crossed the sea. And they're in the wilderness. And it's kind of like, now what? And sometimes... When we give our life to God, that's where we get. We're like, okay, God, you've rescued us. You've brought us to this point. Now what is the purpose for our lives? And so God tells the people to travel to Mount Sinai, the same place where Moses met God through the burning bush, and it was 190 miles. This is an arduous journey with all the people on foot, men, women, children, all their luggage, all their stuff, all their animals traveling together. And it took about a month to get there. And then they wait there 11 months as Moses goes up and down the mountain meeting with God, meeting with God to tell him what was next. You know, I am a lover of board games. And, and Joy kind of shared something that was an incredible truth, that when you play a game, it's got to have rules. Now, I didn't always believe this, but now that I have kids, I know that rules are important to play games. You know, I grew up as a boy, and boys don't play with rules. You know, we all have, like, magic powers, and, and maybe one boy has a magic sword, and then the other boy will say, well, I have a magic shield that can defend me from your magic sword. And then the other boy will say, well, my magic sword destroys magic shields, and it just sort of goes back and forth. Well, now I have little girls, and it's the opposite. They make too many rules and too detailed rules... <laughs> that there's no possible way to, to play with them because they make up so many rules. So we have these both situations where too little rules isn't fun and too many rules or too many arbitrary rules isn't fun either. And life is the same way. And I think you've experienced this, that we need proper boundaries, healthy boundaries for life, healthy rules to live a good and healthy life. You know, God makes these rules, we call them the Ten Commandments, not to not have an arbitrary nature, but because God is calling us to a specific purpose. God is calling us to holiness, as our Father is holy, to certain acts so that we can live in loving relationship with God and one another. In fact, Jesus saves us from slavery and then makes a covenant with us and gives us a a purpose, relationship with God and with people through healthy boundaries, the Ten Commandments. Now, one time I was playing my board game with my daughters. I've been trying to teach them. I'm a, I'm a fan of real board games. 
like Settlers of Catan, not Monopoly. I'll never play Monopoly again. But uh, I was trying to teach them a game, and things weren't going too well for my daughter, and she just walked over and just <laughs> knocked off the, on the floor. And I was like, well, I guess you win. But our lives, just like our games, need rules so that we can live that abundant life. And what's amazing is that God, just like God gave the Hebrew people a purpose, and what we're going to look at that, to be a kingdom of priests, through these rules, through this covenant God makes with us and this purpose, God gives us the same purpose, to be a kingdom and priest so the whole world can know God's mighty and wonderful and majestic name. So we're going to get into the scripture, and our first scripture is from Exodus chapter 19. And so if you brought your Bible, I hope you'll turn to it. If not, uh, that's fine. You can read on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out in the living room that we want you to take home and get caught reading Scripture. So let's look at start chapter 19, 3a, or 3b through 6a. The Lord called to him, the song of Moses, from the mountain. This is what you should say to Jacob's household and declare to the Israelites. You saw what I did to the Egyptians, how he defeated their gods and he defeated Pharaoh's army. And I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to me. So now, if you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant, you'll be my most precious possession. Do you notice that? If you obey, if you faithfully obey, you will be my most precious possession out of all peoples. Since the whole world belongs to me, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then we get the same uh, command the same viewpoint in the New Testament. If you look at First <clears throat> Peter chapter two verses nine and ten, this is what this is what it says. But you are a chosen race this time because of Christ, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into this amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what, what we're hearing in these scriptures is that if we obey, if we follow God, we do what God wants for our life, then we're going to receive these blessings. And it's not blessings like everyone who follows God is going to be rich and have a mansion and a boat and all the things that we think will make us happy. But we will be blessed because we will live in community with God and our neighbors. That's what the Ten Commandments are about. The first four are about God, our relationship with God, and the second Six are about our relationship of how to build beautiful community with those around us. And so what God is saying through the Ten Commandments, if you do these things, if you are faithful, you will be my precious possession. And these wonderful things will happen. But if you don't, you might just find yourself enslaved and back in Egypt. And we'll talk about that next week. We're going to talk about the good stuff this week, not when we make mistakes. We'll talk about that next week. So here's the, the Ten Commandments. Let's look at these. Starting with the first two. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. God wants our allegiance. When we commit our life to Christ, when we have a baptism and we make a covenant with God, we say Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Now, the Savior part means that Jesus saved us from our sins and delivered us from slavery. The Lord part means God is our Lord, that Jesus is our Lord, and we put Jesus first before all things. Last week we talked about the five S's of idols we tend to build in our life, of sex, 
of science, of state, of self, and stuff. These are not necessarily bad things, but when you put them before God, they become an idol. Not to mention drugs or pornography or all those negative things that we can put into our life that those things can enslave us. God is saying, don't make idols. Now, we don't have little plastic idols or little metal idols that we pray to. We don't have other gods like that. But I guarantee you, each of us have little gods that we put our worship and our intention and our energy into more than we put our energy into God. And if you don't believe me, just start thinking about how much time you spend on social media compared to with God or doing what God has you to ask for you or Netflix or playing golf or watching sports and compare that to the time that you spend with God. We set these idols in life and God is saying that is not okay. We are to worship God. We're supposed to give our energy and intention to God. And then when we give time to these other things, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's only when they become more important to us than to God, than God is to us. The, the next command, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Now, we think of this as cursing, you know, of maybe saying God with a, a cuss word. You know, a lot of people will say that. But I think it's really three things. One, I think it's using God's name flippantly. Two, I think it's using God's name to curse other people. And three, I think it's using God's name for our own benefit. So first, and I'm, I'm really bad about this. If, you know, you stub your toe, you're like, oh, gosh darn it, I only use other words. Or maybe you're surprised and you might cry out to Jesus. You know, I, I, Debbie tells me that when people do that in her classroom, she's like, yes, let's take a moment to pray to Jesus. <laughs> I think that's a good, a good way of handling it. But we so often invoke God's name flippantly. The Hebrew people wouldn't even say God's name because God is holy and God is other and God spoke all of our existence into being. Now, through Christ, we have an intimate and personal relationship with God. But that doesn't mean we're supposed to flippantly say God's name or use it in vain, as some translations say. We are only supposed to say God's name in prayer, in love, invoking Jesus in those great and wonderful circumstances of life. If what we're doing isn't honoring Christ, then maybe we shouldn't say it that way. So often we use it flippantly. And it diminishes God's holiness. And God's holiness is vital for our relationship with God. The second way we use it is to curse people. You know, the, the GD word, or we'll say, you know, God hates you, as that church in Westboro Baptist does. So we'll often use God's name to curse people, that's not how it's called to be. It is not our job to judge other people and, and assign a value to what's in people's hearts. Yes, we hold the world account. Yes, we have a way that we think God has called us to live. And we need to stand up for what we believe. But we don't need to call other people and judge them for who they are. So it's not our job to curse people in God's name. And the third thing is we're not supposed to use God's name for our benefit. Now, we see this a lot with politicians or business people. You know, politicians will speak God's name all the time and then not follow anything of Christ. So people will vote for them. We see businesses that will invoke Christ's name so that we'll go shop with them. That's using God's name for our own benefit. And I don't think either one is healthy. So when, what I think when I see you shall not make wrongful use of the name of God, using it flippantly, cursing others with God's name, and using it for our own benefit. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, 
hi, I'm David, and I really struggle (laughs) with Sabbath. For the Jewish people, Sabbath began on Friday evening at sundown and went to Saturday evening. And for 24 hours, they didn't do work. They spent time with family, and of course, they worshiped God. And in the other Levitical laws, if you didn't keep the Sabbath, you didn't keep it holy, if you desecrated the Sabbath, you could be killed for it. And if you worked on the Sabbath, you could be kicked out of the community. Now, we're also not supposed to have a legalistic understanding, because when Jesus comes, he kind of reinterprets some of these scriptures. And, and Jesus says that Sabbath was not made for, I mean, humans were not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for humans. And so when that story, when we read creation that God created for six days and rested on the seventh, God didn't need to rest. God did that for us so that we could have rest, so that we could have that rhythm of rest in our life. You know, Jesus would heal people on the Sabbath, and his disciples picked grains for food. It's not a legalistic thing like you have to follow it in this exact certain way, but it's about rest. It's about taking 24 hours and spending time with God. Spending time with your family, having fun, and not making other people work. Because part of the Sabbath is a justice issue. Not shopping, or not going out to eat, not doing these things to make other people work so that they too can have rest. Because all people need rest. So what I encourage you is take 24 hours, 24 hours, whether that's Friday night through Saturday night, You know, as Christians, we worship on Sunday because Jesus was resurrected from the dead on Sunday. So maybe it's Saturday night into Sunday. And take Sabbath rest so that you can develop your relationship with God and with other people. Now, these last six are about our relationship with other people. So the first four are about building a healthy, vibrant relationship with God. And these six are about building a healthy and vibrant, beautiful community around us. Honor your father and mother. This means, kids, that we're supposed to honor our parents. But it also means, I think, and wrapped up in this, is that wives, yes, submit to your husbands. Husbands, submit to your wives. Wives and husbands, submit to God. Husbands and wives, love your children. Teach them the good news of who God is. Through this healthy and whole family, which is the the, the building block of society. That's how God designed it. It requires every single person doing their role, children honoring their parents, parents loving their children, husband and wives submitting and serving to one another, and most importantly of all, everyone submitting and serving to God in all things. Now I do want to say an aside here, not everybody has a mother and father that treats them the way a mother and father should. Honor your mother and father is not a weapon of a parent to throw at your kids and say, the Bible says honor me, so you have to do what I say. Is simply a way of being that when we are kids, we obey our parents. When we're young adults, we listen to their advice. And when they're older, we take care of them because they're our parents. That's the way God designed it. You shall not commit murder. This is really important here because life belongs to God. Now, there were provisions in the Hebrew text for uh, capital punishment and for war. And, and we could get into a little discussion about that another time, talking about capital punishment and war and how that relates to Christianity. But I don't really want to get into that today. But basically what God is saying is that he's ending the cycle of retaliation. We see it in tribal cultures today that oftentimes if I were to hurt someone in another tribe, they would retaliate 
and they would hurt me or kill me. And the cycle goes on and on and on. And God is saying life is more precious than that. To stop this cycle of violence. In fact, Jesus even takes it another step further. Jesus intensifies it. And he says, if you even think in anger about your brother or sister, you're committing murder. If you say, you fool or you idiot, it's the same thing. Because what Jesus knows, what we think and when we imagine and we fantasize things, we're one step closer to committing the act. And so Jesus is saying, don't even think about it. Don't even consider it. That doesn't mean that an ang- a moment of anger, that, that, that's a natural thing. But when we indulge in that anger and it persists and we, we tease it and we don't forgive because we like the anger and we feel like we're righteous in our anger, that's when it becomes unhealthy. So do not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. The, the Hebrew text in the New Testament affirms that sex outside of marriage is a sin. You should not commit adultery. What's amazing is Jesus intensifies this, too. He says if you even think about committing adultery, you're committing a sin. And now this isn't when I see an attractive person to say, oh yeah, that's an attractive person, is when we indulge in the fantasy of sex with another person. Now whether that's pornography or someone on the street or whatever it might be, when we indulge in that fantasy... Jesus is saying, you're one step closer to committing that act. Marriage is part of, I mean, sex is part of the marriage covenant. It's something we do inside those boundaries, and healthy boundaries are good for our life. You shall not steal. Obviously, you can't have a beautiful community if you're stealing stuff from people off their porch, you know, or breaking into people's houses. But it also means more than that. And I think this is a real challenge in our day and age. Maybe it means... You not giving back the thing you borrowed. Or maybe it means illegally downloading music. That's stealing. Or illegally streaming TV. That's stealing. And that's against God's law. Or maybe it means cheating on something so that you can get a discount. That's stealing. Or cheating on your taxes. That's stealing. So it's not just simply taking something for other people. It can be just not doing what's right. Because intellectual property is steal someone's property. And if we take that without paying for it, That breaks God's law, and it breaks the beautiful community. You shall not bear false witness. You may have heard this of you shall not lie. It really says false witness, and what it's saying is don't lie about someone in court to get them in trouble. But I think we can include lying into it. We all know that lying is not part of what God wants for our lives. But if we're going to have a beautiful community, we have to be people of integrity and honesty and truthfulness. You shall not covet. This kind of sums it all up, that idea that desire leads to action. If we want what our neighbor has, if we want their life, if we want their wife, if we want their car, we want their house, we're one step closer to doing something illegally to get it, to cheating or to giving to greed or do things that are unethical. You see, these ten rules are about boundaries, about healthy boundaries for our life. Jesus sums them up and he says, you can sum up the the Ten Commandments in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And that means putting no gods before God. To worship God, don't allow these little idols to crop up. It means not taking the Lord's name in vain. And it means taking a Sabbath. I want to encourage you to try to fit in your schedule a 24-hour Sabbath. Whether that's one day that you take or maybe three eight-hour periods. Not always while you're sleeping. You take one hour, eight-hour period while you're sleeping but the other two have to be while you're awake. 
And spend that time focusing on God and family and rest and renewing your relationship with God. And then Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. Honor your mother and father. Do not commit murder. Don't steal. Don't covet. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Because if we do those things, they break the beautiful community that God has designed for us. Instead, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then we're told that we will be a kingdom and priest to share this light with all the world. And I think a great example of that is Mr. Rogers. So we're going to watch a video um, that I found on, on Twitter recently, and I want to share that with you. somebody at the door. Oh, it's Officer Clemens. Oh, that's good. Hello, Mr. Officer Rogers. Clemens. You know my wife? Hi, Mrs. Clemens. Won't you come in? It's great to live in a neighborhood with special people like Officer Clemens. Hi, Officer Clemens. Come Hello, in. Fine, won't you sit down? Oh, sure, just for a moment. It's so warm, I was just uh, putting some water on my feet. Oh, it sure is. Would you like to join me? That looks awfully enjoyable, but I don't have a towel or anything. Oh, you share mine. Okay, sure. Cool water on a hot day. Hmm. Miss welcome. I'd like you to know my neighbor. Sometimes just a minute like this will really make a difference. Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian pastor. And uh, I think Mr. Rogers' neighborhood could be quite the image of what a beloved community could look like. So may we be the type of people who allow these rules. They're not here. They're not arbitrary. You know, there's all sorts of funny, crazy rules in life. But these are from God. They're not arbitrary. They're here for us to have life and have it abundantly. We're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So may you take these rules and you be faithful and you obey and know that you are God's precious possession in a kingdom of priests to announce the good news of what God has designed for this world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.